In this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, why communication and information security is important, part one. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring why communication and information security is important. Joining me to help answer this question is Claire Tills, a community researcher. I had a great conversation with Claire. She is a uh, she's been speaking at a lot of conferences at, in the DC area. She's kind of in a unique role, which we'll kind of get into in the podcast. But um, really enjoyed one of her blog posts where she kind of focuses on communication. She kind of sits between the security teams and the business, and uh, I can identify with that because I have a similar role between developers and security team. And I think uh, one of the things that I've I've found in my experience is communication is really important. And so uh, this is a lot why I wanted to have this podcast because I think it's a it's a very important topic. Um, you can check out Claire on Twitter at Claire Tills C L A I R E T I L L S. Uh, she's got a lot of talks on YouTube's, and then of course her blog is at uh, Uh Check out the show notes for several of the resources she recommends for you know just improving communication. So uh, feedback for this podcast is podcast is welcome at timothy.dblock.gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. I have uh, started a newsletter. I have sent out a episode for the the Justin Sites conversation was sent to my newsletter signupees. If you did, if you're a signupee and didn't see that, didn't see that email. Go, be sure to go check your spam folder. I am still working out some of the email things, and I when I sent it to myself, it was sent to spam. <laughs> so um, try to communicate that out, but I will be doing more of that kind of stuff. Um, if you're at DerbyCon, be sure to, to you know seek me out, um, especially if you're a listener. I, I love listening or meeting listeners and kind of talking to about the podcast and you know kind of what they're into and what they're learning. Uh, it's always a it's always great to meet people who are in the podcast. Don't don't be shy. Uh, this kind of uh, this podcast is kind of a uh, kind of goes along with that and you know getting outside your comfort zone and kind of you know learn, working on your communication at conferences. So hope to see you at DerbyCon. Um, I am. It's one of my one of the conferences I look forward to uh, the most. Uh, show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash EIS uh, forward slash 157. So with that, let's get into it. So so why communication? Well, so that's where I've started. You know, I, uh, I picked communication as my undergraduate major because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I figured communication was the kind of degree you could go wherever you wanted. You know, if you've got good communication skills, you can go and double major in something else or get a master's degree in something else and, you know, really translate those skills wherever you wanted. So I, I saw it as a way, like a buffer to give myself more time to decide what I wanted to do. And then I got in and realized that was actually what I wanted to do. Um, and kind of delved in from there. And then, um, in graduate or right before I went to graduate school, I took a year off and I worked at a PR firm that repped mostly cybersecurity companies. And I worked there about a year in 2014, which was pretty good, pretty, a pretty big year for, for InfoSec. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
Target Office of Personnel Management, University of Maryland, which is where I went. Um, Sony was that, I think, yeah, a lot of the big ones happened that year. And then I was already planning on going back to graduate school. And when I got to graduate school, I was studying crisis communication and realized there was a lot of overlap in what I had been seeing in my work in InfoSec. Um, But there wasn't a lot of maturity in terms of the people practicing communication in InfoSec and kind of the higher level skills needed really to, to do what needed to be done in InfoSec. So I, I wanted to start kind of researching it. So I spent the three years I was in grad school researching information security issues from a PR and crisis communication perspective. Um, And I started kind of getting into the community, going to conferences, speaking at them, meeting lots of really cool folks. And it kind of became clear that there was a a pretty good spot for me in the community and in in the field. And um, about a year ago, I got my master's degree and left graduate school and kind of started forging a a path into an actual communication job in InfoSec. Okay, so so are you then more on like the PR side of things or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? So I started on the PR side of things and that's going to be the pretty common track record that you hear from people is you kind of have to start in PR and translate over because the actual InfoSec communication jobs don't really exist. Right. Um, and you have to carve them out for yourself by kind of proving your own capability. It's really on an individual basis. There isn't, you know, people aren't putting out job recs for an InfoSec communicator usually. Um, So you start in PR and then start kind of pushing the PR operation towards security issues. You know, you, you focus on partnering with, you know, my, my job before the one I'm at now, um, one of my main jobs was working with our SOC, with our operations center and helping them translate their messages and their, you know, alerts and things like that into more digestible information that we could then use for newsletters or press releases or other things that were a little more PR worthy. But yeah, so my undergrad degree is in, um, social influence and then my master's degree is in public relations wow that's really interesting and i i didn't even think of like the sock as like a area that you can like take some of those alerts and just it, it sounds like you're like crafting them into something more consumable yeah so we had uh one of the the things that i owned was called the executive brief and it was something we sent out every month and I kind of had to go through and I worked with the the analysts in the SOC a lot of saying, okay, well, what was the big news this month? What was something that you saw that um, you think our executives need to know about, you know, high level stuff. Um, And I would work with them to translate the very technical alerts and analysis that they would send out to fellow analysts and translate that to something that the executives would be able to digest. So are you, are you in a company that's like a security company that provides this as a service or is this like an actual company? So when I was doing that, I was at the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, uh, so FSISAC, which is a, a nonprofit that does information sharing among banks and yeah, other yeah. financial institutions. Okay. That whole shebang. 
And what do you do now? Now I'm a research analyst at Tenable. So um, I kind of sit between our researchers, our marketing PR and other teams in the company and do that translation function very similarly of, you know, our researchers will be developing plugins or actually we have a team who researches vulnerabilities and I kind of help them translate that to other teams within Tenable or to external content like blog posts or conference presentations. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I'm really jazzed about the job. <laughs> I've been there about, uh, my, I'll be there six months on the 19th. So okay, just, cool. just still pretty new. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's an interesting thing. And um, I wonder if we'll start seeing some more of those types of roles within the InfoSec community. I think we will because, you know, more and more companies are seeing the value and there are more and more people showing the interest. And it kind of has to be that two-pronged approach because some people go come into InfoSec from a PR background thinking, well, I can just PR anything. Mm -hmm. I don't really need the subject area expertise. And you really do for something that, like InfoSec. You do need to have that passion to sit down and read through the news stories and dig in and kind of understand at least a little bit of the technology to be really effective mm -hmm. at PR for InfoSec. So have you, so have you do, uh, dove into some of the technology? Yeah. I always joke that I know no, just enough to be dangerous. Right. right. <laughs> um, and one of my goals for the next year or so is to kind of delve even further. And I've got a lot of friends who, I've got some friends who are red teamers. I've got some friends who work in the government. Um, I've got blue team friends. I've got, you know, people from all over the community. Um, so I'm planning on trying to get a little more hands-on keyboard knowledge, but you know, my role is basically to be able to understand just enough of what the experts are saying to translate it to the appropriate audience. So I'm really good at Googling, basically. <laughs> uh, that's most of IT. I mean, that is IT in general. Exactly. It's like, I know how it's, 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 the the appropriate googling for your role and so the googling i need to know is all right what does this term mean and how important is it to this audience understanding the key point so it's kind of this um this like network map of okay well you've got the the content from your experts and then you've got this overarching key message that you want some specific audience to understand and so I have to figure, I have to understand the information coming from the experts just enough to tease out the information that the audience needs. So perhaps the audience is, you know, CISOs. So it's going to be pretty high level for CISOs. It's going to be even higher level if we're trying to do like exec, like uh, CEOs or CFOs or anything like that. Um, if I'm going for end users, they've got different priorities. So it's kind of all of that finding out what the audience needs and then translating the key message from the really smart people who know what they're doing. So are you doing um, training as well? I do. I kind of jump around a little bit. I don't do training at, at my current role, but um, I'm doing a training coming up next month at Besides DC. Um, and my background is in education because as a graduate student, I was a graduate TA because that's how I made money. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is 
something that I'm pretty comfortable with and I enjoy doing a lot. I taught public speaking actually for uh, three years uh, when I was in grad school. And I've slowly started kind of bringing that out with the community saying, you know, either offering just to give public speaking trainings because the community is so heavily focused on conferences Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people who aren't comfortable public speaking may not feel like they're fully participating in the community if they're not. So I want to try and help them feel more comfortable and putting themselves out there. Um, And then also the training I'm giving for Besides DC is kind of a, a, a mashup of everything. So it's going to have some of the public speaking elements from the courses I taught in graduate school, but it's also going to be really functionally based on how to use communication to achieve goals in InfoSec. Okay. Yeah. And that, um, you're also blogging as well. Yeah. Not as much as I was. <laughs> I'm, I'm blogging about once a month now. I was, I was going at a really good clip for a while, but, um, I'm trying to focus on digging a little more deeply and doing some, some case studies now, which take a little bit more time. Yeah. That's, uh, that you're doing way more than I am. I'm trying to write a lot more or blog a lot more, but I just, yeah, it's, it's not happening. It takes a lot of energy when mm-hmm. you have a full-time job and then also want to write, um, as part of that. Yeah. Um, and I found it easier with, you know, previous positions because I wasn't writing and I wasn't feeling as, you know, fulfilled in the job. So I used the writing personal stuff as an outlet. Whereas now I don't, need that outlet as much you know I'm doing a lot of really cool stuff at work I'm talking about information security all the time at work so I don't come home feeling the need to to vent <laughs> right vent the energy yeah I can identify that, that, that the, you actually just said something that's that's really interesting and, and something I've been trying to figure out because you know I, I I work in the industry as well and it's just like like I've gotten into like a really good gig and mm-hmm. so like I don't feel the urgency to you know blog and um i've been i've been speaking at uh several conferences like the last few years and it's like i think next year it's like i just don't want to speak and i don't have to speak either because i'm in a in a role and and part of the reason why i got the roles because i was active in the community but it's like mm-hmm. i am doing so much i i really enjoy what i'm doing at work i'm in a really neat role um it's kind of similar to yours i i, I go between like devs and stuff so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm a liaison between the dev team and I sit with the dev team. I don't want to sit with the security team, um, but I'm a liaison between them and the SOC and the governance piece and, you know, all these different areas. So I, I do a lot of interesting stuff at work. And I think, I think I'm starting to like more and more just find that it's like, I can come home and just kind of hang out. Yeah. And I don't have to be, you know, on Twitter. I don't have to write a bunch of blog posts. I don't, you know, I, I do this podcast cause it's, it's a nice outlet. Uh, and I get to have great conversations with uh, with people <laughs> like you. So, um, yeah, that's uh, sorry. I just kind of had a had a moment. No, there no I was absolutely. Like, oh, that, that may be why my motivation for doing some of this stuff, and and why I don't want to, you know, put another slide deck presentation together for, and write an abstract and submit to conferences next year. So exactly. What what you know, co- what, what other conferences are you going to? Um, I typically hang out at the B-sides a lot. They're Mm -hmm. kind of my home base. I went to Black Hat and DEF CON this year for the first time. Um, I went to ShmooCon last, or I guess this January, and I'll definitely try and go back, um, because it's basically in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, those are most of them. The B-sides, I've been to like seven 
B-sides. There's like seven in your area, isn't there? I know. I haven't gone very far and I've managed to go to like seven. Um, and this is really only like, I would say my third year. So the first conference I went to was B-sides DC 2016. Okay. So I've only been going to conferences for a little while. Um, and it can be kind of daunting because there are so many finding the right one mm-hmm. quote unquote, to go to can be hard. Um, and all of, I pay, I have a pretty good crew around me now of really smart infosec people. So I just go wherever they go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's not bad. And I, I guess you learn a lot there for your, your, uh, your role. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot, especially at DEF CON, just kind of through osmosis. You know, I didn't end up going to as many talks as I would have liked to at Black Hat and DEF CON, but even just kind of participating in conversations and, mm-hmm. and hallway con, you know, that whole that whole spiel is is pretty true. Um, is being part of those those conversations and interacting with the community um, has been really advantageous for me. Yeah, I'd say like that's that's where I have some of the most interesting conversations is uh, or probably learn the most is is from the conversations and being able to ask questions. You know, what 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 do you do in in this scenario or uh, what about what do you think about this? Yeah, and I've been lucky enough where I've spoken at most of the conferences I've gone to, and that has really been helpful to me because people will come up to me and tell me about their experiences. They'll say, okay, well, here's, here's what I went through, or here's how I solved this problem with communication. Um, because communication is one of those things that people really like talking about, but they don't have the opportunity to do it. You know, communication is one of those things you just do. Mm -hmm. You don't think about it. But when you're given the chance to actually sit down and think about how you communicate with others, you start to realize some things. You realize personal habits or pet peeves or situations that you thought were really successful and want to kind of repeat. Um, So my talks usually get a lot of really interesting kind of walk-ups afterwards to to tell me some of those stories or have conversations or ask questions. What's, What's the most recent talk you did? Um, most recently was, I guess it was last year. Yeah, I think it was besides Delaware last year. Um, I went a little incognito for a while when I was switching over to this role and I've been traveling a lot. I was supposed to give a training at Circle City Con, but I couldn't get out of dc because of the weather (laughs) so yeah yeah, i was super bummed i wanted to go so badly um and the organizers were really cool about me ducking out last minute from my training um i feel awful about it Uh, but you know weather happens so yeah i think besides delaware so last november was my most recent conference presentation and then i've got the one coming up in october what was Uh, what was the title of that one um, advanced soft skills using efficacy to get shit done. Okay. Or something similar. <laughs> so is that, is that, was that communication based talk or was that more, I guess, just soft skills, like how to interact with people? So that was communication based. So it was a kind of guide on using principles from communication and, um, health communication specifically how to use some of the principles from there to achieve behavior change. 
So the idea is there's this concept called efficacy, and it's this idea of you have to believe that you can do something to change the situation. So if you have low self-efficacy, it means you don't think you can do anything. If you have low response efficacy, it means you don't think whatever solution is actually going to work. And there are ways you can tailor your communication to kind of show people, hey, you can solve this problem and there is a solution that will make things better. Um, and health communication has used it a lot for a variety of things. So the study that I looked at most was uh, convincing people to use sunscreen to prevent uh, skin cancer. And they did research and kind of trying to tail like push people away from using fear appeals because we see that a lot in security. Um, the FUD of it of, you know, you have to do this or you'll be at risk or, you know, your company's data will be at risk or you're going to get sued. Um, those fear appeals, we haven't really seen a lot of benefit from them. So giving people an alternative to that of being a little more positive with their communication to hopefully steer people towards better behaviors. Right. And so how, how would, uh, I guess, what do you take into consideration for that? Well, you have to know a lot about your audience and that can either come from directly asking them or, you know, that creative Googling again, or empathy, you know, putting yourself in the other person's shoes and saying, okay, well, if I was in their position, what would be my primary concerns? So you have to know what barriers are they perceiving? Why haven't they done this already? Because to you, it might seem really obvious. Mm -hmm. It's really obvious that you shouldn't use your pet's name as your password. <laughs> but why does your audience do it if it's such an obvious bad choice? So really using that empathy of sitting in their position and thinking, okay, well, Here's where they're coming from. That allows you to kind of deconstruct that rationale and give them alternatives. So thinking about why people are acting the way they are mm. gives you a lot of tools to then go through and deconstruct it and come back with your own alternatives. It's like, okay, well, you're using weak passwords because you have to change it every month. Well, here's an alternative that will make this better. I always go with password managers because it's kind of easy to, you have to remember one password instead of eight and it'll recycle them every 30 days if you tell it to and all that sort of shebang. Um, and that's just an example, but whatever behavior they're doing, you have to figure out why they're doing it rather than just shouting at them to say, you should be doing this instead. <laughs> right. This is what you should be doing. Start doing this because I told you so. Um, that doesn't usually work. No, no. Yeah, I think empathy is a really, really important piece, especially when you talk about like communicating with people. And, and you're right that it's like people do stuff for a reason and they usually have a a pretty good reason for, for not doing it. Like you said, whether it's um, having to change their password every month, which, you know, it's their pet name and then like the year and then or all they're doing is just like iterating to the next number. Yeah. For the, for the next, because they got to change their password 12 times a year. So Exactly. Um, yeah, and I always have to tell people, empathy doesn't actually mean being nice, because that's what people think when they when they hear empathy. They're like, oh, well, that means I have to be nice to this person. I'm like, I mean, you should be nice, right. but <laughs> empathy actually just means putting yourself in their shoes and trying to understand their experiences without directly asking them. Yeah. You know? 
yeah, it's, it's it's almost like problem solving too. At, at least yeah. I found that is where we're I'm putting myself in a pair of shoes, and it's like, okay, why are they doing it this way? And then once I have that answer, it's like trying to figure out, okay, how do I now um, help them in a um, you know practical way? Yeah, exactly. So you you put yourself into their position, looking at the problem they're facing, and try to come up with solutions that they haven't come up with yet. Because you have to think that your audience is smart to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that frustrated security professionals can struggle with is giving their audiences the benefit of the doubt. And part of that is because they're all out of benefit of doubt to give. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They have been burned a lot. So I, I totally feel for them. But at the same time... If you make the people you're talking to feel stupid, they're not going to talk to you anymore and they're just going to ignore you and do whatever they want. Right. Right. And so you, you also have to like take into consideration like the, the different scenarios, which I know you had a blog post on. Yeah. Um, for, for communication just in general. I mean, you have all levels, especially in the work environment where you have, you have your tech savvy people. You, I, I've even found like security savvy people who are working in other departments that, uh, really appreciate that. Um, those obviously are the easier ones to talk to, but then there's people that don't think security is good because <laughs> yeah. you know, they've, they, they see it as a, as a hindrance to what they're doing, but then you also have like managers and executives and, uh, all the different kinds of, uh, employees in an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for each scenario, you've got to think about, those barriers that are in place and the end goals that they're working for and figuring out a way to fold security into that. So if you're working with managers, they have their own set of priorities and frequently you can figure that out just by like looking up your company's mission statement is one of the things that I always go for because people above a certain level, if you, if you cite to them the company's mission statement, and can actually make a logical tie to the goal you have, they'll get on board pretty quickly. Um, lower level folks, they're a lot of times just focused on getting their job done. <laughs> so right. if you can find a way to make it easier for them to get their job done, that'll kind of earn you some, some brownie points. Right. Um, so it's all about figuring out what their priorities are. And so there are some of those overarching priorities that are based on just humans. There are some um, priorities that are focused on a specific role in an organization, and then there are some that are just individual-based. And the more specific you can get, the more successful you're likely to be. But you know, getting down to the individual level isn't always easy. You have to develop a relationship, and that can be difficult. Um, and sometimes, if you do it wrong, it can come off as creepy. So. <laughs> um, Like if you don't have a natural reason to ask people personal questions about like, what projects are you working on? Or how could security make your job easier? You know, those can be difficult conversations to have around the water cooler. Right. So you may just have to kind of default to the next level up of, okay, well, what's their, what's their role in the company and what are the the goals usually associated with that role? and and go there but if you already know the person fairly well or you know someone who knows them you can you can kind of do that personal tailoring a little bit more Mm -hmm.